What we're in the midst of doing right now is looking, okay, what's the best way to kind of scale and being able to connect that student athlete with recruiters while providing mentorship, while providing guidance on that, that offboarding. Uh, so when they get to that junior, senior year, uh, how can we help them with that transition? How can we help the school with that transition? Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I am Tom Richardson. I am joined today by my co-host and friend, Joe Favrito. Joe, good to be back with you. We've done a couple of shows solo, yeah, but it's did. always nice to do them together, so I'm glad to be reunited. Reunited, peaches and herb. Great song. And it feels season. so good. <laughs> All right. I love quoting lyrics. That's one of my things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Joe... We've got a great guest today. We want to get into it in a couple of minutes, but I got to ask you about some of the big stories of the day, particularly something that's near and dear to your heart and my heart, and that is what the hell is going on at Twitter, a platform we both like and use quite a bit. So you are um, you are very active. You're one of the most active people I know in the sports industry with a lot of followers, a lot of influence. What's your take as a a, a, an active user who, who uses who, mm-hmm. who kind of depends on it, I guess, for, for kind of building your own brand and, and your and your profile, as, as I do, and, and also as a business person. So so your two takes, hot takes on what's happening. So first, something interesting happened with Twitter about a month ago. And I don't look at it a lot, but every once in a while, I'll just click on analytics just for the hell of it to see like numbers. Your, your own analytics on your account. My own analytics. Yeah. Yep. So, so usually, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, I never really dive into it, but I look for, see what the number is. And usually it's about 800,000, a million impressions a month. You know, so this month is about 200,000. Hmm. And I'm like, that's weird. And I asked some other people and like, well, when you create a pay service trying to change analytics like Facebook did, your numbers are going to go down because they're trying to, and I keep getting these prompts, you know, would you like to promote this? So already Twitter has started to kind of, you know, tweak the numbers so that you can't get a lot of things for free, which Mm -hmm. is where a lot of this is going to go and where who knows what, you know, Mr. Musk is going to do going forward. But that was the first thing I noticed that happened about three weeks ago and it hasn't really, I haven't done anything differently, but suddenly the numbers are down a quarter. So, so Jim, before you go to the next one, is your next point? Are you suggesting that they 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 figured out a way to reduce the organic reach, as we yes. often call it? Okay. Yep. Yep. So that yep. famous quote uh, or or statistic we mentioned, I think, in the conversation with Chris Niari, that mm-hmm. um, organic reach for Facebook posts is as low as six percent. So yep. if you have a million followers, you know, you'd be happy if you get to sixty thousand of them. Um, yep. It's kind of kind of crazy. Anyway, yeah, and, and yeah. by the way, the, the other piece of that is uh, someone kind of on the inside said, usually when you either you have the check mark or you have a certain amount of followers, you just randomly like when people come on and log on for sports business or communications, you, you know, they'll click on, you know, they'll follow somebody and they'll say 10 other people you'd like to follow. So that number has been significantly reduced for people who are not paying Twitter to put them on those lists. Right. That's what I've been right. told. So, okay. so that's number one. Number two is on the business side, you know, a little caveat emptor maybe for Mr. Musk. And uh, as, as uh, you know, as our friend Rob Shaw likes to call him Zuck, you know, 
what Zuck found out when he was, you know, going from, you know, this nice little fast growing company with a documentary all about him, you know, wearing a hoodie all the day to suddenly when you're on everybody's radar and people are coming at you, mm -hmm. um, be very, very careful about what you're going to get. Plus, you know, overpaying what 5x for what what a value property is when you have other companies out there and, and by the way a public company so um and you know and then what are you going to do i mean I, I was with somebody yesterday and they're like all these people are leaving twitter now they're not following anywhere i'm like well everybody should relax a little bit because nobody knows where it's going to go but you know i guess the elon musk obsession with twitter and being what the new york times called you know the modern version of of, uh, of um, what Citizen Kane was, uh, is gonna be really interesting to see, to see how it plays out. I'm sure um, there are lots of people in the, the office around the former president who keep trying to sign up for Twitter and sign up for Twitter, thinking that Elon's gonna open the floodgates again. And maybe he will, maybe it will be the Wild West. But then when the lawsuits, the lawsuits start coming about misappropriation of information and damages, let's see how fast you know, that keeps going the way it goes. Who knows where it's going to go? Spend know, a lot of well, money. Yeah. I mean, I thought the best quote, of the, best quote of the week was from the former CEO, Dick Costello. I'm sure you saw that mm. quote. He said, yep. uh, essentially, bullying is not leadership, which I thought was mm. a really good way of summarizing what we've yeah. seen so far. He, he's got this, he'll go down in history as one of the most visionary, successful business people in, in, uh, in of all time. But he's got this, immature streak that's really hard to understand and he, he really does act incredibly uh recklessly i would say with some of the stuff he he tweets and talks about so it's a lot different when you actually own the business and even if they take a private which i guess is the plan mm -hmm. he still has to i think find a way to exhibit some leadership because he's going to be leading uh an employee base of what over ten thousand people i forget how many they have these days but already mm -hmm. he's picked fights with the senior leadership of yeah. Twitter. So I don't know. It, it's kind of a mess. Um, I'm going to stick to my knitting and focus on my sports and media and digital stuff. And you got your yeah. thing going. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah. anyway, crazy, uh, crazy times in social media land. Also, Facebook just having a really brutal time right now. Um, I saw that. Um, here's a stat I read this week from the Facebook earnings. You know that they pivoted not entirely, but largely towards the creation development of the metaverse. And they've yeah. got this business called Reality Labs, which is where all the Oculus stuff is happening, all the metaverse development. Guess how much money Reality Labs is losing per quarter right now? So kind of a gotcha question, because I probably, I'm sure you didn't read this detail. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. it. So. <laughs> it was one of those ones when I, like when I heard mm -hmm. about how much DraftKings mm -hmm. was losing. Um, Three billion per quarter Reality Labs is using with a B. Yeah. So when you're a couple hundred billion dollar valuation company, maybe that's okay. But one reason why a lot of the experts are saying that the that Wall Street is still bearish about Meta is that there's no clap, visible path to ROI on this development yet. Yes, there'll be immersive media. Yes, there'll be virtual reality and things like that. Yes, there'll be versions of a metaverse, but there's no guarantee Facebook or Meta will be the biggest or most successful player in that world. They're going to be one of many. And it's still arguably years away 
of any kind of ROI. So with that kind of run rate or burn rate on 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 Reality Labs, it's it's kind of stunning. Anyway, it's we could go on and on. There's so there's so many interesting yeah. things going on in the business, and 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 one of the topics we seem to have been over-indexing on the last six months or so, of course, is college sports for good reason. It's become an, an amazingly uh, interesting hotbed of developments, uh, both uh, cultural and business-wise. But we'll get into that today with our guests. So I am really thrilled about the, the guests we have today because it's someone I've had the privilege of knowing and working with for, dare I say, over 25 years. I think you have a very long relationship with them Same too, thing. Joe. At least, yeah. Yeah. So actually longer than I. I think you guys met, and we'll talk about that. But um, a very, very distinguished industry veteran who's well-known to many, many probably listening to the show, and certainly many in the industry, we're talking about none other than Glenn Harine, sometimes referred to as the uncle of Mark Harine. I was going to say the second Harine we've had on the show. (laughs) Yeah, the second Harine we've had, maybe the last. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Glenn Horan is well known to many of you, as I said. What a distinguished career he's had. Uh, Stops along the way include the National Hockey League, the Arena Football League, Velocity Sports and Entertainment. He's done a little bit of work in the search space and a very distinguished career at Iona College in the sports uh, academia side of the business, something we can relate to closely. I owe my start in teaching to Glenn. He brought me in at Iona as an instructor, which was an amazing experience, and I'm, I'll ever always be grateful to him for that. Anyway, an amazing resume, but here's the fun part about Glenn's story. Some of you may know that he's part of a new venture created by Dan Mannix and Dave Nugent. It was announced a couple months ago, Underdog Venture Team, which is going to be composed of a couple of different parts. One of the interest, most interesting parts is a business that Glenn is the co-founder of and the managing partner or director. And that's called Metal and Rise. Joe, you may be asking, what is Metal and Rise? Metal and Rise is, this is the elevator pitch, a platform that connects students, student athletes and those possessing the athlete mindset to career opportunities, recruiters, et cetera, essentially helping them transition from the, the world of college into the world of business and professional opportunities. So, Glenn, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Finally, we've been talking about having you on the show for a really long time, I think since the beginning. So it's good to have you here. You decided to go with the younger Harayan first and then and then the elder Harayan afterwards. I, I get it. I understand that. Great, great <laughs> yeah, to well, be you know, you. He, he had that ESPN pedigree that was so yes. appealing to us and, and, and everybody loves to talk about soccer. Um, so, Glenn, let's start with you. We don't necessarily want to do a career rundown, but why don't you at least just set up how your worlds converge to lead to this really great idea about Medellin Rise, which I happen to know, as Joe does, that you've been thinking about in various forms for a couple of years now. Now you've kind of brought that to fruition with the actual launch of the business. But connect all those dots to tell us the story of how you got here. Well, uh, first of all, thank you, uh, uh, both of you. Uh, and, you know, over the years, uh, no matter how many years it is, it's always been a pleasure when I uh, sit down with, with you guys and have a chance to talk with you guys. Uh, coming out of COVID, coming out of COVID, um, 
I was transitioning out of executive search. wasn't 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 the best time to be uh, in search uh, in the at least at the beginning part of COVID. And what it enabled me to do is really kind of think about what did I enjoy most in my career. And I think you and I have had this conversation in the past, but making a difference in a student's life uh, and or student athlete's life, uh, introducing them to leaders from industry, uh, being able to give them a peek around the corner about what an early career transition looks like and how to prepare themselves and doing events that when you left that evening, you could really feel good that you made an impact. And I think you you both can relate to that, uh, that part of the story. So when I was thinking about that, I, I got back to putting my recruiter hat on just saying, wow, recruiters value those who have that athlete mindset, that grit, determination, discipline. Uh, they value those who have been in athletics from the time that they were a peewee to the time they went through college and graduated college, that if they did so, that's probably 15 years of experience. And with that 15 years of experience, it's dynamic. And what recruiters want are stories. They want to hear ups and downs. They want to hear that, you know, this is what happened when I was disappointed. This is what happened when I had a bad experience or a bad coach, right? And this is how I came out of it. Because what they want is a front row seat, being able to look at that uh, candidate to understand how are they going to acclimate themselves to this job environment? How are they gonna acclimate themselves to maybe some early uh, turbulence or bumps along the way? Are they going to uh, just fall down and not get up? Or you know what, they have the pedigree, they have the background of dusting themselves off, they'll get through it. And we're got, we want to invest in them long term, train them, and we see uh, you know a, a very successful path. So it was it was really connecting the executive search experience with my passion for student and student athletes, going back to my days uh, at Iona that you referenced, Tom, and working with students there for you know over a decade, uh, and then mixing in all the industry experience that I've had over time, whether it's been on the property side as you mentioned before with uh, the NHL or NFL working with you or arena football or consulting with Madison Square Garden. So taking all of that experience, taking the search experience and the love of making a, a difference and hopefully a difference uh, impact with students, student athletes to finding and developing a platform that can be very efficient for recruiters of identifying uh, great talent and hopefully uh, especially with underdog and, and our mission there, diverse uh, talent as well. Yeah, it's funny. I always, uh, I rented a car from Enterprise a couple of weeks ago and I was always amazed. And I still think they do this. They focus a lot of their hiring on student athletes. Um, and I've always wondered why, you, you know, again, I don't know, we could spend, <laughs> we could spend an hour and a half talking about the the lunacy of the NCA and just some of the things that have happened this week, not the least of which was Corey Left's story this week about how the military are now going to try and enlist yes. student athletes, which Glenn, that could be a whole other piece of this for you. I, I, I believe me, you know, yeah. I saw that I'm going, hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, Glenn, you got to you you update your business plan now. That, yeah, was, but, that was a really crazy announcement. Yeah, but, but I, I think it's amazing, you know, you've touched on that area. And the idea of that they've been resilience is such an important piece of, of 
what I think a lot of people want to see in, in uh, resilience, discipline, time management. Um, and even with the amazing pressure and the, the lack of dealing with the, the tremendous issues with college athletes these days in terms of mental health, um, it's it, enterprise is one, but it always surprised me is like more companies don't look towards that space, especially if you're looking for diversity because of Title IX, you've got a pretty diverse pool that you could probably be going to no matter what division athletes were. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. And that's, uh, you know, that really is a great alignment with what uh, Dan and Dave, uh, Dan Mannix and Dave, uh, Dave Nugent had in mind. And then adding the cold Jeter West was, you know, it, it you know, expanding uh, opportunities, creating access. Um, and everybody talks about trying to find diverse talent. And in a lot of cases, it's just talk. You, you have to be intentional. You have to change patterns. You have to change behaviors. You have to be more thoughtful in how you're trying to uncover uh, diverse talent, how you're trying to curate that. And that's, that's a direction that we're in full alignment uh, all the underdog subsidiaries, along with Metal and Rise, that's a focus of ours of trying to create those opportunities and expand those opportunities uh, for underrepresented communities. So, Glenn, I think that, that's really admirable. And I, I think what always of, of a lot of things about your what you're doing throughout your career impressed me. But I think what you did at Iona, which I got to witness and be part of, was made a big impact on me. You went beyond the classroom because it was, um, you should describe what it, what it was specifically, but like basically a certificate program for sports business it, within the business school of Iona, the Hagen uh, Business School. But you brought in, think of all the events you did where you'd bring in industry folks, you'd basically give students a chance to hear from business professionals to actually meet business professionals. And you always added that extra element of career preparation to the mix, which I don't think was very common in those earlier days of sports, ac sports business academia. What, what inspired you to do that? And how did you suss that out as you, as you realized it was a kind of a thing that you were good at? Well, it's, it's funny. And you, you two are uh, so, you know, such prime examples of this about just from a networking standpoint and, and Joe, uh, you with Fordham uh, going back uh, to Iona. There's so much overlap there, but it, it was about the industry. It was about looking at sports, entertainment, media, now digital. And when you look at New York, um, and I, I think of that that artwork where you know it's the New York is the center center of the world, you know, and they they have right. you know Midtown Manhattan, and then everything else is really really small, but which looking is accurate. At jobs, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but looking Spoken at jobs, like a true New Yorker. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> but, but looking at jobs, as small as Iona was, or is, or was, uh, there are so many people that were connected in the media industry, uh, so many people who are connected into sports. And so when I, when I got there and I had talked with uh, the dean, uh, Vin Caluso, who you know well, and Charlie Canty, uh, who you know well, uh, the message was really about job opportunities in the New York area. As much as we, we think, you know, globally, which is awesome. It's like, look at all these jobs here. Why can't we connect uh, our alumni and go beyond our alumni 
go to industry and folks that I know within the industry, such as you, Tom, which didn't, didn't have a direct relationship with Iona and start to kind of piece together, you know, industry sectors that are of interest to students, whether it's in media, whether it's in technology, whether it's in marketing. And then as the world expands and grows, there's going to be other opportunities. And so built it up with, you know, just a, a class A, uh, you know, faculty of uh, adjuncts and, you know, from yourself to a Ross Greenberg, who we brought on board, to a George Bodenheimer, who we brought on board. Um, and, and also then you're bringing your network uh, to the classroom. So we expanded and then we added in an advisory board that it wasn't meant to be 85 or 90 uh, people, you know, just to get some real you know, strategy. It was about getting them engaged with the students. And that's what the students wanted. They wanted to meet with those who are in the industry, who were connected, who could provide access and opportunities and insights. Uh, and, it, and it worked. We did you know, probably at least six, seven, eight different events a year uh, that would focus on leadership. We'd focus on career. And the students got a chance firsthand to meet uh, those uh, industry folks. And then with the faculty, tried to weave in a career element with each one of those courses that fell underneath the curriculum, that there was a career component uh, in that class, at least some element that could help that student make the transition, whether it was, uh, well, in this case, it was graduate. Uh, so when they are going out there and they're looking for that next opportunity or looking to get into a sports entertainment and media job, uh, that there was a common thread that went through all the courses that would help them, you know, with that chance. Glenn, I, I want to mention something quickly that I experienced at Ionia, which you're aware of. I would often speak to my students about career stuff separately from the classroom, you know, one-on-ones or whatever. And there was that young woman whose name I can still remember, Jennifer Kern. Kearns or Carnes or something? Uh, Kearns, yes. Yeah, who's yes. in my class. And she was very good, good student, just a really nice personality. And she had an opportunity, an interview somewhere, but she was, she asked to speak to me and she was very skittish almost about presenting herself, very kind of tentative, even though she had a really nice personality and she was bright. And she just said, she basically said something to the effect, I can't remember exactly what it was like, I don't really know what I have to offer or something to that effect. And I said, you know, Jennifer, that's interesting. I said, so a couple of thoughts. One is I, I was aware that she was the captain of the uh, rowing team, women's yep. rowing team at Iona. I said, so let's start with that. So you made it to an elite level of a very competitive sport and you were the captain. Think about what that means to someone just observing from the outside. It shows the, it's the adjectives you mentioned before, Glenn, the, the discipline, the dedication. I forget all the adjectives you use, but obviously you were doing something right in that world of rowing where you were good enough to make D1 and, and good enough to become a captain. I said, that is very impressive to people. And you got to think about that. That's like a, something you can kind of use as a, as part of your, uh, your sales pitch, so to speak. And she said, Oh, I never really thought of it that way. And again, I, I don't think that was any great insight on my part. I just, it just kind of occurred to me. And then secondly, she had worked in retail, I think through a family business for a couple of summers, maybe. And I said, well, that's, that's sales. And sales is like real experience. So I just kind of 
brought a couple of things together to make her think about. And, and it occurred to me as I was reading more about metal and rise, I guess that's part of what you're trying to get to. Like, what can you extract from these individual stories that will help put people in the best position to, to work, to, to, to find opportunities and get hired? Is that fair yeah, to say? exactly. That is very fair. I mean, and, and she was, she was a terrific student. Um, and, and sometimes the student athlete doesn't, doesn't really think about how to tell their story. And, you know, one example of that is when you look at the number of hours that a student athlete puts into their academics and then their athletics and then anything else, you know, during the course of a week on average, you know, depending D1, 2, and 3, but, you know, that can be 60, 65, 70, 75 hours. And if you have a, if you have good grades and you're able to do some other extracurricular activity, being able to talk to a recruiter to say, well, I managed a, a 70 hour work week and my work week consisted of X on the academic side, B on the athletic side. Oh, and by the way, I was able to do this also with a little community service. Well, that's going to, that's going to draw the attention immediately of that recruiter about the capabilities, especially if they have a GPA that they can, you know, offer up to show performance. Uh, and it doesn't really matter if they if they were not the star player. In some cases, I would say it's even better if they weren't the star player on their team, because if they put in four or five years of, you know, in season, off season, and they were just a role player, but they did all of that, that's music to my ears as a recruiter, because that's a team player. That's a team player who put in the effort, the sustained effort over time. And that's one of the competencies that I'm looking for as a recruiter is about that discipline and that commitment. Uh, and for the and you're in it for the long haul, you're a team player, all these attributes that you look for as a recruiter. And it's trying to get the student athletes, in this case, you know, Jennifer say you do as you pointed out you have a great story to tell let's maybe you don't see it so let's back out from the forest and let's tell you why you have a great story and let's show you how to tell that story because it's a really amazing story to tell but sometimes like anything else you just need a little guidance about how to shape it sounds like you should sponsor the transfer portal that's a that's a whole nother well that actually is a good joe that's i'm glad you kind of mentioned that because i wanted to ask about this new world of college athletics as it relates to glenn your agenda so Mm. because of nil which is will be what one year old uh in july right first anniversary um the transfer portal which has been around what a year and a half or two or something, I guess. Well, it, it, it's in the disastrous state it's in right now. Is, right, but 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 the, the point I wanted to make to set up to set up uh, uh, Glenn's answer and um, and and Joe, I'd love to get your opinion on this too. Is do you think these developments, guys, have given student athletes a greater appreciation for, interest in, curiosity about, like the business aspects of their lives, because whether they intend to be exploiting NIL opportunities or not, inevitably it becomes talk in the locker room with, you know, just kind of in the community that they're hanging out in. And I'm wondering if these business issues now 
mm-hmm. become so widespread just as a general topic that Glenn, it maybe sets you guys up better as you work on the other side of your, your, your platform marketplace, you've got the recruiter side and you've got the athlete side. In other words, are they going to be more open-minded to saying, yeah, I've been thinking about this business stuff. I'm glad you guys came along and you're going to help me. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. When you look at NIL, you look at the transfer portal, uh, for me, there are so many unintended consequences with both of them as a student athlete, uh, where to go and to really earn your money in the NIL space, you have to put time and effort against it, all right? In some cases, I'm sure there's some places out there where this person doesn't really have to do much and they, they've earned a, a, a nice you know, compensation package there. But you do have to earn your money on the NIL side. So where is that time coming from academically, athletically? Uh, what's the impact there? So there's unintended consequences there. If you're earning a lot of money, you know, inside the locker room, you know, are there any issues about, you know, your ability to earn that and, and the time that you're taking away from the team? On the transfer portal, and I, I think, you know, students should have the right to leave. I, I was just noticing uh, this one player is the Southern – uh, conference player of the year, Malachi Smith, who started at Wright State, went to Chattanooga and just left uh, because Frank Martin uh, has left. Uh, he left South Carolina and is up at UMass. Uh, but now this guy uh, is, you know, transferring, you know, as well. And it's one of those things where if you're not happy at work, you can't just up and up leave. Now, the two, you know, maybe a little bit apples and oranges here, but I guess my point here is in a case of Malachi Smith, he clearly is a very, very talented player uh, and probably has somebody, you know, in his ear talking about raising the profile that there are NIL opportunities at larger schools that uh, he should be considering that he's got pro potential. And, and he's probably, you know, he's the outlier. That's the minority I'm thinking about the majority of the students and why do they transfer? Are they transferring for five more minutes of playing time? Are they transferring uh, to now be a starter or, or was it that a coach left? But, you know, that student athlete experience, I keep drawing back to that student athlete experience and, you know, building relationships with your teammates, building relationships with alumni, thinking about life after graduation, about getting a job because 99% of these players are not going to get paid a sustainable or have a sustainable professional paying career uh, in basketball or, or the other sports. So that's my concern is what are you giving up in transferring out and, and that value proposition of getting five or 10 minutes more playing time, unless somebody says, okay, you really have a legitimate chance to make money in NIL as well as a professional career. And I think, you know, that's more the exception than the rule. Okay. Well, Joe, what I'm going to be calm on this. Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna, I, I, I know you have some thoughts points. on this, go, but go for it. Yeah. So here, here's the first thing that I thought was interesting. At the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned Glenn being from Iona. I'm from Fordham. I heard a really interesting conversation this week with Rick Neuheisel on ESPNU, and he said one of the biggest problems that we're going to get at the end of this, when this, when the NCAA and their criminal activity, the way they have treated student athletes, 
and just let this whole system run amok is a really important question. Where are you from? So if you have students who transfer five times or four times or three times, what did you get out of the college experience? Because you're trying to build everything that Glenn's trying to do, but yet you can't do that if you switch three times in a year and go to different places. So that's number one. Number two is on NIL. I think where NIL is in three years and where it is now aren't even going to look anywhere near what they are. The people who are making most of the money in NIL now are not really, they're athletes second. They're influencers first. And as much as I consider Darren Heitner a friend, I think that people, especially lawyers, have led people down a path of you're going to get all this money and you're going to get these things and you just show up and you've got all these followers. When in reality, Tom, as you know, a lot of ROI, we have no idea where this is going to go. So you're going to have brands look back on this in, in a year. And by the way, you guys both know this too. So you're sitting there and you're saying, we're going to invest in building out a campaign around these individuals. That takes a few months or does it take years? Mm -hmm. So, so you've got athletes transferring brands, investing in them, people leaving places, not knowing where the money's going to go. We just went through April 17th tax day where there were lots of issues where suddenly student athletes said, Oh, I forgot to pay my taxes. So now what are we going to do about that? Right. Um, and then I think the biggest thing where this all circles back to and where I, I hope that, that Glenn and the underdog team, knowing most of those people uh, will be able to help is the time management side, but also helping them kind of navigate from what it is that they've come from. But the strain of mental health and, and the issues that are coming up are in beyond crisis right now. And as we sit here on the last business day of April, you look back over the last month and there are four, there's been a, a student athlete every week who's committed suicide in the last month. And it has spiraled out of control. And a lot of it has to do with NIL, the pressures of NIL and people whispering in their ears. So, so where this is all going to go, nobody really knows right now. But we hope that adults will show up and lead these children, these young people down a path, because that's what they are. They are young people who don't know down a path where hopefully this can succeed. And I think, you know, hopefully Glenn is picking off the best of the best, which I think he's going to be and giving opportunities to people who get it and understand where they're going to go before they make mistakes, if that makes yeah, sense. That's well, well said, Joe. And, and you know, I've been remiss not to mention my, my partner, uh, Julie Hammer from, uh, from Northwestern. Julie started the student athlete development program at Northwestern from scratch and, and got it endowed, the Kabiller uh, NU for Life program. And, and a big part of that curriculum uh, does include from a mental health standpoint, uh, to Joe's point, is the importance of that and, and the pressure that some of these student athletes, uh, you know, put on themselves to perform. Mm -hmm. And then also when they look at the transport portal, <laughs> they put their name out there and they think that they're going to get quote unquote better schools interested in them. And all of a sudden it comes back. It's like, uh, it doesn't even meet where they are now in their mind. And, they, and by um, the way, Glenn, they can't go back either. Once they're in, yeah, they can't yeah. Go so, back Joe, we were talking about that. So, there was a story out on ESPN. I think yesterday I shared it with Glenn. You must have seen it, where they indicated that fifty-four percent of those who were in the transfer portal did not transfer. Yeah. So, as I said to Glenn, really innocent question. So, what's the vibe like when they go back to their coach and their teammates? 
having made it clear they want to leave, but they're not leaving. Like, think of that. Yeah. So, or, anyway, or by the but, way, but, but, but is, your, is it your understanding that if you enter the transfer portal, you're not being penalized by the school? Like, you can still come back? No, you cannot come back. Really? Once you leave, okay. you cannot come back as an well, no, but once you know, I'm talking as about an athlete. Leaving, I'm talking about athlete. once you announce you're entering the portal. Yeah. But but no, what no, if no. You're, what if you're one of those 54 percent who didn't have an opportunity to transfer and they need to go back to their main school? You can Are go you back. Suggesting... You, can't, you, can't, you can't participate. You you no oh. longer you relinquish everything. Wow. And and the the coaches are like, I would love to have you back, but I can't. Sorry. Okay. Um, wow. You know, the, the other thing, which is interesting on NIL, and I don't want to, you know, go off on, on kind of a path that we don't want to go down, but I don't know his name, but I saw a story this morning, I think it was on Axios, about a basketball player at Miami who's basically threatening that he's going to leave I, the school if he doesn't get more money for NIL. Isaiah Wong, I, I, I read that, that same article. So he's a two-time ACC all-conference player. And his agent, Adam Pappas, uh, says that he's uh, negotiated an NIL. Uh, uh, well, he actually, he negotiated an NIL uh, deal uh, with another transfer, Nigel Pack, for $800,000 and a car. All right. So that's another player. So you get this in, in front of somebody else to say, listen, this is the deal that I got for so-and-so just went to Kansas State. And here's a guy, Isaiah Wong, saying, well, wait a minute. I'm better than that person. I should be able to get a similar deal. Or I'm leaving. So, or I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, again, I go back, we go back to the whole student athlete experience about it. And, and it's just getting lost. So much focus. There's so much focus on the NIL side. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of that's turned into a, a recruiting tool uh, and just making the rich richer. Uh, as relates to getting the five-star athlete that they want to have. But that student-athlete experience is just getting lost. Uh, of Again, I go back to building relationships, connecting with alumni. What's the job market? So when you talk about a school, and that's we go back to, I think, the original question you asked, Tom, You know, even going back to Iona and, and, and Fordham, when you look at the New York area and you talk about attending a school in the New York area, and it doesn't matter what sport it is, you, you, the opportunity for internships, the opportunity to connect with your alumni, uh, the industries that are in around the New York area are so plentiful that mom and dad don't necessarily think about that, you know, at, you know, when they're, you know, when their son or daughter is a junior in high school about the marketplace. They think about the school, they think about the playing time. Uh, and, you know, is that, is that team going to go to the NCAA tournament, no matter what the sport is? But so often gets lost is what is that job market? What is that alumni base? What's the track record that that school, that that athletic department has in helping that student athlete transition successfully and that offboarding of a year or two just to make sure it was successful? That's what gets lost. It, it's so, so, this is so upsetting to me. I mean, it really, you know, and, and, you know, we've all had kids go through college and, you think about that experience and people say, oh, the experience has changed. Well, no, it really hasn't. Ask most of the kids on campus why they're there. All of us almost every week are talking to young people on campus, whether it's grad school or undergraduate. They're having 
probably the same experience, similar experiences. One thing that was pointed out to me, not to go back to a lot about the suicide rate, but the issues with mental health amongst athletes on campus because of NIL, because of transfer portals, because of the pressure, because of another issue of if you are an athlete on campus and we talked about the, the value of time management, you're part of a subset. So you're not already having the normal experience. I remember um, during, um, uh, during the women's NCAA tournament, Diana Taurasi, was the, they were talking about, um, she and Sue Bird did the, the did they, um, yeah. show on ESPN. And she talked, uh, talked about, you know, and this player on this team has her own personal trainer and this and that. And Diana Taurasi said, my experience of the best time of UConn was drinking beer and having an extra cheeseburger when we were in the off season. And she's like, <laughs> I don't know why that has to change. It doesn't really have to change. Right. Your priorities may change. But when you look back, and I mean, all of us have had jobs at you know, fleeting times or for short periods of time, you develop really good relationships, even if you're there for a short period of time because of the people that you're with, but because you're a little bit older. I mean, yeah. why, why would you want to transfer three times? You know, if, if, you, you, if you think that your first choice and, and you know, this weekend is May 1st, when most students are picking what college they're going to out of high school. And they're picking after all the pressure and everything, they're making a decision to go somewhere and they're gonna figure out how to make it work. And because they want to go there about everything about it, not just because I'm winning an extra couple games. And it's it's a tragedy. And I, I think we're gonna go back at some point when sameness comes in and hopefully the NCAA hires someone who can actually lead the organization or whatever the organization's gonna be. Um, but I, I think this kind of like putting it in the hands of the states doesn't work. And and the collateral damage, as you mentioned, Glenn, for a lot of these kids is tragic, absolutely tragic. Yeah, it is. So Glenn, it, it goes back to leadership. Glenn, take us through the mechanics of the business. I know it's early, very early days of your business, but it might be interesting for folks to hear how you're going to set this up in terms of building this marketplace, two-sided marketplace, obviously getting schools to sign up. So the strategy now has been largely, as I think you've called it, uh, described it to me, retail or like doing deals with specific schools, getting them excited about this opportunity. Tell us about the reaction you'll be getting in the market and then your plans as you work through that side of the market, how are you going to develop the other side with the, with the students? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for a lot of schools um, and, and athletic directors, um, they're facing a lot of um, a lot of pressure as it relates to you know from a budget standpoint coming out of COVID, uh, NCAA mandates that they have to you know from a compliance perspective. So when we go in and we talk to athletic directors, you, you're going to hear those concerns right away. When we talk about the student athlete experience, everybody will nod their head and say, yes, <laughs> nobody's going to say it's, it's not important. It's very, very important. Uh, but also one of the challenges, if, if you have the ability to build the, the, a basketball practice facility or do a stadium upgrade, uh, they won't say it you know, directly to you right there, but from a priority perspective, when they're getting money from alumni to support those capital campaigns, that will take priority. When we get to the student athlete experience, and we're talking about mental health and we're talking about career readiness. Uh, a lot of the reaction will be positive, but then the follow through 
has been challenging, just to be you know uh, honest with you. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're looking at that retail approach of college college by college and and we're we're building you know and gaining experience because what we want to try to do is go in there and do a lot of discovery, uh, not just talking with the athletic administration, but talking with the athletes because uh, the athletes are the ones that are going to be providing that that insight there. Uh, so we're getting uh, and gathering that IP, those insights, those case studies, uh, which is invaluable to us. And then what we're in the midst of doing right now is looking, okay, what's the best way to kind of scale and being able to connect that student athlete with recruiters while providing mentorship, while providing guidance on that, that offboarding. Uh, so when they get to that junior, senior year, uh, how can we help them with that transition? How can we help the school with that transition? Uh, the year or two after they graduate, uh, what's the support that the school's providing? Can there be something there that we can help with? So what we're trying to do is provide both from a consulting perspective uh, to the schools, to the organizations that are involved with, with student athletes, and then also look at it from a technology standpoint of being able to build something that can kind of scale and connect that student athlete with a hiring manager, with a recruiter that accelerates that process uh, for uh, early career opportunities. And how's the reaction been on the, the other side of the market with the, with the employers? I know you've had some conversations about that. You know, I know it's early, but still, that's an important component. You need to have, you need to have buy-in on the, on, the, on the buy side of this, obviously, to, to make it work. Yeah, I think, and Joe, Joe hit on it before. I mean, it, uh, the recruiters really, for the most part, it's not, it's not 100%. Uh, but when you start talking about the dynamics and the competencies, that are uh, attributed to student athletes or those who possess the student athlete mindset. I, I love he keeps sliding the second piece in there, by the way. So, well, because it's important because there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there who maybe didn't play four years of college athletics, yet maybe they were a musician, um, maybe they were in the band, maybe they were managers, 100, percent and they put in the time. All right, with that, and they can they can demonstrate that time commitment, that time management, that discipline, that grit. Uh, so yes, they they possess that athlete yeah. mindset, and that's what the recruiter is really looking for. They want those attributes. They want that um, that that culture fit too. That this is somebody who can easily acclimate themselves to our culture, and they have demonstrated that in the past. You know, not just one year, but multiple years of a commitment. That's the big thing. And until so you're 100 percent correct, you know, on managers, whether it's basketball, football, those sports, they put in so many hours of support to those teams that often are just unnoticed unless you are part of that team. But that commitment is, is enormous. Uh, so sometimes, yes, so we want sometimes more than the athletes themselves to tell you. Yes, that. yes. You're, Speaking you're from experience. 100%. Hundred percent correct, Glenn. On the on the issue of um, building the business, just for, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you had to take this from an idea to a pitch 
to a launch and now and now the pressure's on to to actually develop it and grow the business what what did you take away from your past corporate experiences that you could apply to this world of entrepreneurism yeah it's 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 a great question um i remember and i'll go right to arena football uh, because when i joined arena football i think it was year 12 year 13 and i remember going down to uh the, the championship weekend that was my first week and it was in it was in orlando and there's you know i think there was like i was you know employee 13 or 14 or something you know at that point uh there and we're just setting yeah, everybody's doing everything you know and one of the coin phrases that i you know just up right away is you know just the desire to move boxes all right so no matter where you went to college no matter what your position was all right are you somebody who's going to are willing to move boxes even if it has nothing to do with what you are responsible for and and i've brought this person up uh before in the past you know so Rini anderson uh from now with the nfl uh she struck me right away. She was, she was uh, at arena football for many, many years. And she was one of the first people I met there. And I didn't know her from Adam when I, obviously when I first started, but she was a person who was just moving boxes around. And, and I asked some, and, and she had a, just a great way about her, how she was talking to people. And then I talked to her CFO, uh, who was uh, Joe Franken at the time. And I said, who's that? And he said, uh, uh, Rini, what, what does Rini do? She's our merchandising person. I said, she should be in sales. And, and sure enough, you know, she's done pretty well since then. Uh, but, she married well too, by the way. Yeah. Yes, she did. But moving boxes. And so when you talk about entrepreneurship, you just don't have the ability of saying, okay, uh, I'll have my assistant call you or I'll have my assistant do this. It's like, you got to do it. And you got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm proud. I'm proud to do it. All right. I, I want to do it. And, and I learned it's like, you know, when I'm taking notes from a call and somebody said, well, you know, why, why are you doing all the notes? Because I, I want to learn. All right. I'm not looking for somebody else to kind of give it. I want to learn about the business. I want to learn about their business. I want to learn how we can kind of connect. And so it's really about uh, rolling up your sleeves, finding those individuals who just don't feel like they're better than a situation and want to move boxes and make a difference. And so when I look at Underdog right now, and I look at Metal and Rise as part of Underdog, we're in the moving boxes stage right now. We're trying to figure it out. Uh, of, mm. You know, how do we support each other? And even if this isn't my primary role, what are we doing to kind of just take the next step forward? So moving boxes is a big thing for me. I like that. That's the theme of the yeah, show. That's, um, Ezra Kuchar's this thing is GSD, which I use in my class. Get shit done. Get shit done. So yeah. it's a big military thing. Anyway, um, so got any more time or should we wrap Glenn up? We've taken a lot of his time. Yeah. Um, I'll just ask this and you, and you can do a short answer to it. Um, it's, it's almost the middle of 2022. You're new. You just launched. What might this look like in five years? Well, I think in, in five years, uh, I hope I have written a book that talks about the value of the athlete mindset uh, mm. and how to apply what you've learned uh, as an athlete 
of those possessing the athlete mindset uh, to a, a successful transition. Uh, so I have a whole uh, book outlined uh, for that. And that we have a business that connects the student athlete to figuring out or supporting how they transition uh, beyond their playing days. And just this past weekend, I, I was taking some golf lessons because I need, I need the help. And as the golf, as the pro was looking at my game, which had many flaws, he would tell me what the flaw was. He would then say, come on over here. And he had a library of about probably 250 videos. And all right, I want you to do the post-up drill. And boom, he, he, he'd show the post-up drill. So what I'm thinking about is the same thing about there's so many questions, you know, that students and student athletes have. I have no idea what job I want to be in. All right. So I want to be able to have that resource from a technology standpoint, but also how do I bring the personal element? Because there, there are companies out there that do a lot of uh, electronic modules and digital modules, uh, but I want to figure out how can I maintain a personal touch but also from a business standpoint, we realized that we have to have a technology component to it to scale. So we, we can't do it without technology, but I wanna have that. And then I wanna be able to be on the circuit, making a difference with students, going around to campuses and having these discussions because that's what I enjoy the most. All right. Mm -hmm. And then maybe hopefully talking about, hopefully talking about the book I wrote. That's great. That's a good answer. It's a, it's, it's a good way to think of it. Um, so it, it's yeah. good that Glenn's not going to launch an NFT in the next five years. Yeah, that was the <laughs> no, 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 so. no. When, when might we see you back in a classroom, applying your applying your academic uh, trade? Uh, as, as soon as as soon as Dan feels comfortable that our business is at the right place. Also, so we kind of addressed the the. The career advice, Tom. But I think the other thing, you know, with Glenn, all the hats that you've worn over the years, where the other question we like to ask people is kind of where, how do you stay up to date with everything, assuming that Elon Musk doesn't ruin Twitter being one of the places. But um, how do you, you know, you, you touch on some of the areas, what are some of the places, the podcasts, the stuff that you're doing that, that you could share with other people on, on career development instincts? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I again, from, from, from Twitter, to SBJ, to Sportico, you know, I, I'm probably, I probably have way too many subscriptions, you know, out there as far as trying to stay up uh, on information. I do try every morning to carve out, uh, I'm, I'm probably not uh, Warren Buffett. I think he said two hours. I don't think I, I do two hours a day, uh, but I, I try at least to do 60, 75 minutes a day of canvassing you know, the network, my feeds, whether it's it's LinkedIn, uh, I used to have Feedly, uh, uh, just looking from Wall Street Journal uh, to the sports industry publications to clients and where uh, they're getting their feeds from. So I'm up to speed on them. But for me, it's, it's really dedicating uh, probably a, a good, you know, 75 minutes in the morning to kind of looking what's going on in the world and how it impacts, you know, my clients and then looking for some of the emotional intelligence uh, articles out there that relate to students and student athletes. So uh, I can feel like I am educating myself on something that I'm very, very passionate about and continuing to learn in that area. 
You, do you listen to any pods other than the cusp show? Uh, only the cusp show to be perfectly honest with you. Now, actually, uh, I'm just not in, I'm not in, it's funny about your, your pattern. And since we got into the COVID, COVID pattern and I don't take the train in to the city anymore, I kind of moved away from the podcast because I'm just not in the train. When I was on that train, uh, I, it was like three or four you know podcasts that I would listen to on the way in. Um, but it's just your your pattern just changes depending on what your your work environment and your situation is. And it, it's changed where we are kind of right now a virtual shop. Uh, uh, we have people in obviously in the city. We got them up in Maine. We got them. Uh, down in Florida, and so you know, working working from a home office uh, can be very very efficient, but it also changes your pattern of of where you're getting your uh, your media from. At yeah, least it has for me. That that's actually a good point. I I do believe the the work at home thing does change the, kind of the vibe of how you consume, as you pointed, consuming feeds and things like that. I, I find myself with a different pattern than a couple of years ago too, but. Um, all right. Well, that was great, Glenn. Beyond, beyond, and just finally, beyond the quick, uh, well, not quick, but, but very cogent advice of willingness to move boxes or anything else you want to say, because I know you're in a lot of career conversations, even beyond Metal and Rise with your incredible network of, uh, with young people because of all the time at Iona. Is there any other thing you'd want to mention before we wrap on the career advice front? My, my thing is always about what matters most uh, um, and self-reflection, taking the time to just write it down uh, before you face a situation that looks favorable to you at that moment. Uh, but taking, taking the time about what matters most to you when you're looking at a career, uh, of course, compensation is always there, but you know, what about what about your boss? You know, what's the track record of your boss? So I, I always think, you know, who I work for matters very, very much to me. Uh, that culture that they're trying to, uh, uh, you know, present on a daily basis. What's the culture there? Uh, you know, how much travel? So it, it's, it's one of those things where I tell students, uh, just take the time uh, to really figure out what matters most to you and, and how do you prioritize that? Uh, because, you know, that's invaluable. Don't wait until you have to figure it out. Be honest with yourself while you have the time to do so. And then when a situation presents itself, you're prepared to look back and say, this is something that's going to keep you honest uh, when you consider those situations. So what matters most to you is something that you should spend some time on. Well Got said. It. Glenn, cool. if someone wants to check out Metal and Rise or Underdog Venture Team, what are you recommending? Uh, I go to Underdog uh, at this point, Underdog uh, Venture Team. So um, that's, you know, we're still, we're still in the midst of building everything out, uh, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but uh, go to Underdog Venture Team. Cool. Um, great. Great combo, Glenn. Thank you for spending time with us. Guys, you guys just brought me back. You know, come on, with Joe. You know, how many years going back to you know Jerry Hobby, Michael K, Michael Breen, and Joe Favorito in this in this little sports information uh, office at 
the Mulcahy Center there watching Iona Fordham basketball. There was nothing like Iona Fordham basketball back in the 80s. We loved each other. <laughs> yeah, in between the fights. So, anyway. <laughs> That's fun. Well, I just want to see. So I gave you five years to write your book, Len, and now I want to challenge Joe to do his history of Fordham sports book uh, before you over the next yeah, five it'll years. It'll be, a pam- as I said, it will be a pamphlet. Right. So that's easy. Right. Exactly. Hey, um, Tom, before we go, I see um, our producer, Yash Agarwal, is sitting there with a Chelsea uh, kit over oh, his I shoulder. I noticed it's, that, yeah. Somebody may be owning that Chelsea kit by the time people listen to this, apparently to what we heard today for a little bit of money, as they said. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What, what was the number that was quoted? You guys remember? I just saw the headline. I didn't see the number. No. Well, probably than, by the time. How much? Uh, Yash? Yash, what is it? More than four billion pounds. Wow. Four billion pounds. Okay. Yeah. By the way, we're going to scoop everybody who's listening to this. Yash is actually buying Chelsea, not Todd Barrett. <laughs> right. So, hence the free cool. jersey. All right. Well, thanks, Glenn Horan. We really appreciate the time. Um, It was great to have you. We thank everybody for listening. Please check out Medellin Rise and Underdog Venture Team when you get a chance. If you have any thoughts about guests we might have on the show or you want to give us any feedback, hit us up. Probably easiest on Twitter, at Joe Fav or at... For now, anyway. Just for For now. now, Until we lose all of our stature and followers. Tom and I are Um, going to parlor, by the way. We haven't told everyone that. No, Truth Social, Joe. Truth Social. The number yeah. one app right now in the App Store yeah. in Apple, as you probably heard this week, yeah. which is kind anyway. of funny. Uh, anyway, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.